and welcome to another episode of the Thoughtful Christianity Podcast. I am Josh Starr, and with me, as always, is Jay Broom. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, guys and gals out there listening. Is that the right order? You know, Josh, need I remind you so quick into our podcast that this is our pirate show? (laughs) Well, can't argue with that logic. If you don't know what we're talking about with This Is Our Pirate Ship... Was it the Heaven Podcast? It was the Heaven Podcast. Alex, our wonderful editor, I had told him that he should let his personality shine, you know, like have some fun with it. Like we don't mind. And he added a lot of pirate themed uh, inclusions to that episode. And so Jay and I have come to start saying this is our pirate ship about the podcast. You know, that's the sign of a flourishing podcast is that you have like running jokes yeah. across multiple episodes so that the, only the faithful listeners will know. So, <laughs> Well, it's funny. Uh, you guys are getting in at the ground floor. It's like an investment. Yes. You guys are uh, like the, I, I don't know all the proper terms. You guys are like venture, venture capitalists funding mm. our dreams. So that one funny. day we're trading on the... Uh, New York Stock Exchange, you can know that, you know, the stock that you bought early is now worth millions. Mm-hmm. And it will be your pirate ship. It will be your pirate ship as well. Yeah. Yes. You guys might have a crappy job like swabbing the poop deck or something like that. But <laughs> it's still yours. Jay, it's funny. I went back and so I updated all of our podcast stuff on the website. Shame which meant promotion. It's not meant to be, but yes, also. No, but also change. check the website. But I listened to all of our podcasts at like 1.75 speed just because I wanted to like give a little blurb, say what scriptures were being referred to, what references to like other works are being. And I heard the this is our podcast and it's like episode one or two. I was really pleased. I was like, wow, well, this has been like going on for a long time. This is a theme that we've been tracing throughout the podcast. Yes, it's our biblical theology, but it's our podcast theology. Is This is our podcast. It's developed yeah. into pirate ship. Wow. Okay, Jay, don't want to spend too much time talking about the podcast without doing the podcast. Mm. But you know we got to start with that quick question. And it's my turn. And I've learned to, I, I went through a bunch of different ones. <laughs> I'm ready. I had to steer away from them because I don't want another Disney Channel episode where like. I think the people love that. It was a wrong question for you. So I, I've been thinking. I think it was and a I, perfect question. You think so? Okay. Was well, that it? gives me some confidence. Yeah. No. Well, it I was going it. to ask you something about like favorite albums or something, but like you oh, don't listen gosh. to music that much, you know? So, uh, okay. Right. Here, so here's what I've got for you. We, me and you, have been Mm. reading through the whole Bible together this year. Mm. What has been your favorite book of the Bible this year? What it like we're not just talking about like don't you don't have to say what like has the most insight, just enjoyment. Like what book have you enjoyed reading the most? Man, I've got some maybe some recency bias here, but well actually the opposite of recency bias. But we just finished literally today, I finished Hebrews. And Hebrews was dope. Oh yes. Hebrews, ooh, like those are the choice meats, I think, is Mm. a term that you often employ. (laughs) Tasty morsels. Yeah, like it talks about just like a lot about like what actually was accomplished when Christ died on the cross Mm -hmm. and like that kind of old covenant, new covenant. Man, like it it, it fills in a lot of gaps. It it kind of like 
it put yeah, it puts into words like a lot. It makes a lot of connections that just good good stuff, <laughs> man. I went through Hebrews eleven yesterday and and the day before, and like I gotta say that my mind only had like a vague familiarity with it, but like that that section's amazing. Like there's some rich theological teachings in that section. It's not just a list of cool dudes. Yeah, Paul, not Paul, knocked it out of the park. Oh my gosh, Paul, not Paul, Paul, not Paul. When I taught Hebrews as a Bible study for those listening, I constantly, I mean, I think like a lot would refer to the author of Hebrews as Paul, not Paul, because uh, it's debated, even though everyone knows that it's Luke recording a sermon of Paul's. Oh, really? That's a joke. No, that, that's just my opinion. Uh, it's hotly contested, but that, yeah, that's just where I fall on. And I think that's the best explanation. Do more people think one versus the other? Like, oh, like 70, 30% split? Do you, do Not you? really. Because there's so many options, it's been divided pretty evenly. Apollos, uh, Akia and Priscilla, uh, Luke, Paul, Timothy, I've heard, though I don't, like, I don't think most people hold that. But then there's solving all of the issues. There's the Lucan dictation theory, which is where I, I'm at. Wow. Because they say it doesn't have the right language for Paul. Well, it's written by Luke. It doesn't seem like it's written like a letter. Well, that's because it's a sermon. Well, it doesn't really seem like Lucan theology. Well, that's because it's Paul. It's a Pauline sermon. It has the structure of Paul. You know, so it solves all the problems. But that's not what this quick query was about. So you really enjoyed Hebrews. That's dope. dope. Mm. Good. Very nice. Very, very nice. No, actually, it's uh, it's numbers is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure it's not first Chronicles one through nine? Just exclusively one through nine? Just, yeah, where everyone lives. (laughs) And their genealogies in that place. Yes. Yeah. Those those are a little more, uh, a little tougher. Yeah, they're but, tough nuts to crack, but still enjoyable. Mm, if you can, if you can get past the hard shell, you got it. Anyways, anyways, we should start trending in the topics direction. Rock and roll, let's do it. So Jay, we've been working through. Well, this is our second episode in the series, I guess, but we're gonna be working through the Baptist faith and message, which is the confession that the Southern Baptist Convention holds. Hashtag BFM2K. Exactly. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000. BFM2K. That is right on the money. So last week we did the scriptures. This week we're going to cover not all of Article 2 because it's long. So Article 2 has a paragraph on God in general and then a paragraph on God the Father, a paragraph on God the Son, and a paragraph on God the Holy Spirit. I think today we're just covering the paragraph on God in general, and then the paragraph on God the Father. And if you're listening, I would really, really highly recommend getting one of these pamphlets. The ones Jay and I both have, where did you get yours, Jay? I think at my church. When, they, you know, you first show up, they give you like a welcome to so-and-so Baptist. Me too. Folder, and it's in there. And yeah. yeah, I mean, again, they, they they should be readily available at a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church. Yeah. If your church doesn't have one. What they doing? I was going to say that's a problem, but maybe it's not. But I, I would just ask your pastors or just go online. I actually have linked in the description below on the website for the podcast, Ooh. 
the article in question for each week. But honestly, I just think that I was thinking about how this can interact with the lives of our listeners, right? And I was thinking, if you want to go through this as like kind of a weekly devotion, because we talk for an hour, and that might be a long time for a devotion, but we're working through sentences, right? And so you can stop after every sentence, just do one a day, something like that. Like I think this could be a beneficial part of your meditation upon who God is, maybe. Let's be honest, Josh. An hour-long devotion isn't that long if you're really devoted. Oh, Jay, (laughs) come on. I was assuming that they'd already done a two-hour devotion with Mm. themselves, and so three was a little bit long. Come on. Uh, Yes. Okay, you're right. I mean, come on. They went through their hour of reading the word, their 30 minutes of meditation, and their 30 minutes of prayer, and then they were going to come to this. It's just too much. Yeah, we're not trying to overburden you guys. Yes. No. That would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculous. Three hours. <laughs> yeah, but so let's go ahead and get started. This week, we are starting with Article 2, God. And just a reminder, two of the questions that we're going to be asking ourselves throughout this is, what is a Christian and what is a Southern Baptist? So we're going to always try and keep that in mind as we go through these. Mm-hmm. So let me go yeah. ahead and read through the are section. You reading? I will read through God and you'll read through God the Father. Oh, are we going to... Let's split it up. Uh, we'll we'll just start with God and then do God the Father later. I All right, here we go. There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. That is Article 2, Section 1, God. Hashtag God level. Hashtag God level. I don't actually know what that means because I Isn't am... it like a Kanye West song? Is it? I don't know. I only know Jesus is King. That's an album. I know. Okay. All right. So let's go on. Can we, <laughs> I'm call, just... can we call this episode the Godcast? The Godcast? <laughs> I don't know. That seems a little arrogant. <laughs> maybe you're right. Or maybe we will. I'll put it in, in parentheses or in quotation marks. It would get some clicks. Yeah, we're in it for the clicks. Evangelism by clicks, okay? Sorry, Mm. we can talk serious now. Let's talk about God now. (laughs) There is one and only one living and true God. That is sentence number one, Jay. So let's talk about it. One seems to be a theme here. Mm -hmm. I think this is where we get the term monotheism. Ooh, what does that mean? One God. Incredible. Not polytheism, right? Like the Romans or somebody that have all these different gods, right? Yeah. On, on Mount Olympus. Or Mormons. Mormons or are Mormons. polytheistic. Ooh, man, that, that, ooh. Do they formally come out and no. say that though? No. They, mm. I don't believe that they would say that they're monotheistic. Wait, I'm sorry. No, they, I don't think they would say anything because Mormonism a lot of times is very concerned with 
how to appeal to people. And so I don't think coming out as polytheistic would really help them. So I don't think they would say it, but it's inescapable if Christ is a God and the Father is a God and you become a God. We can become gods one day. Well, how many gods are there? Many polytheistic. Uh, So Mormonism would be a polytheism. I think that's a key distinction. It is. You guys didn't even come here looking for that today, but you just got some facts. And the reason why that's so quick on my mind is because monotheism of the scriptures is often compared in evangelism with Mormons to their doctrines because they believe in the scriptures. And so you say like, hey, you believe this is inspired and this is inspired. But one of them says that Christ is another God. And one of them says Christ is that there is no other God besides Yahweh. How do you do that? And often, I honestly have yet to hear from even the scholarly camps a great answer for that. So we believe in one and only one living and true God. That means that we believe that there is only one God in existence. And yet, Jay. And yet. How are we Trinitarian? Ooh. How can you be both? Why not both? Um, Por que nostos? So, wow. This is a part of what many refer to as the mystery of the Trinity. I don't Ooh. know if people refer to that, but... They do. So, it's really funny that you've asked me this question because I don't, I don't know that I have the most scholarly and concise answer. However, this is something that has been long settled by our friend Athanasius. Well, not, it's not actually his creed, though. Like, it's not actually his words, right? Like, isn't that it's possible? It's possible. It's one of those things where we don't know, but it's also very possible it's not. I like that you're punting it immediately. Well, okay. If you don't want me to punt it, then I'll come back to it a little bit. No, it's okay. You can. It's it has to do with kind of what it says at the at the end of our paragraph, right? Where it yeah. makes distinctions between its distinct personal attributes like so there's three persons that make up one being yeah which you have to be very precise with your language here right you have to understand that like there is like the one being of god expressed as three distinct persons so let me tell you josh it's kind of like water (laughs) nope (laughs) <laughs> that's a bad analogy patrick uh people who haven't seen that sketch sketch are like why did he talk in that weird accent but uh i'll put it in the the website description you've seen yeah. it right the lutheran satire yes yes oh, so it's, funny it's a video where it debunks a lot of common analogies used to describe the trinity because they're actually heretical ancient heresies <laughs> yeah uh actually they're ones that the Athanasian Creed argues against specifically. Jay, so I want to ask you a question. It's not like a yes or no, true or false. Well, it's more like a yes or no, but uh, you'll be okay. You'll survive. (laughs) Do you feel like Trinity is the weakest area of theology for the average Christian? So like there's every single possible avenue of theology. Like I'm talking even specifics. Do you think Trinitarian theology is the weakest area for the average Christian? Well, I don't know if my theology fully covers all the scope of what you're talking about, (laughs) at least my my degree of knowledge. However, I I think the point that you're driving at has a lot of truth to it in that the Trinity is a fundamental like doctrine that 
separates us as Christians. Yeah. Throughout history, we understand that, again, getting who God is right and having right understanding is absolutely fundamental to the Christian faith. And yet, I think you are correct in saying that many people who go to church every Sunday, many people that would call themselves Christians, would have a difficult time articulating the Trinity properly without Mm. stepping into heresy. Yeah. And I don't think that stepping into heresy means you're not saved. Uh, Because earlier in my life, I might have said that because as by nature, I am an overeager person. And so I can sometimes go too far. But like one of my professors said that like he once preached a sermon on the Trinity and stepped into heresy and it was ignorance. He wasn't denying that he was not denying the Trinity or promoting a false doctrine because that is what he believed. He just simply was ignorant to uh, what the best way to explain the Trinity was. But I, I love that you knew exactly where I was going with this is Christians should be frightened that one of the only doctrines that Christians say, if you deny this, you cannot be saved is one of the doctrines that we think the least about, understand the least, and investigate the least. Trinitarianism. Most Christians, the majority of Christians throughout history have said, if you deny the Trinity, you are not a Christian. Full stop. Because you're denying categorically who God is. And actually, that might go to our our question is, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who believes in the Trinity. Mm. And that might be a spicy take. Because you're looking for a little book recommendation, James White's The Forgotten Trinity is a nice, I would say brief. It's not, you know, multiple volumes, but it's, yeah, it's a good explainer to, uh, again, help aid in understanding. Yeah. James White is a pro-debater, which can sometimes rub people the wrong way. But I would highly encourage that book, even if you have maybe a bad taste about James White, maybe because he's again, he's a very good debater, is imagine him on your side of the debate table. That's how the book is. It's this guy who's got so many answers to all of the questions that he's thinking might be asked walking you through it. I think he's a great author. And actually, I mean, I love his debates too. I think he does a really good job of defending the faith. So that's a lot for sentence one. Well, I'm going to let you off the hook now. Let's go ahead, go to the Athanasius Creed. Man, I wanted I wanted a discussion before we go into the ancient words yeah, of man. our dear friend Athanasius. Do we want to do it at the end though? Ooh, you know what? That's, eternal... that's a good idea. That is a very good idea. To kind of summarize all the stuff yes. that we're going to miss? So let's just recap. What are we saying? We are strongly defending that Christianity is monotheistic. And yet that monotheistic God is expressed in three persons, the same in essence, and yet different in role, you might say, or different in personality, you might say. So let's go ahead and move on. Are we going alternating with the sentences? Sure. You can do this one then. Sentence two reads, he is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. Where do you want to go with that first? There's a lot to unpack here. Man, um, intelligent. Well, it says he, so, whoa. whoa. Hmm. Well, that's, I think, so that is funny is that we, 
have to accept that these three persons can be called he because these three persons are one God. I think this whole paragraph is meant to describe the entirety of the Trinity. There's nothing in here that is exclusive to one person in role and function in, we'll say, economy, uh, which is the way that these roles and actions play out. And so, yeah, when we say he, we are still expressing the Trinity. We're just treating the Trinity rightly because the Trinity is one God, one essence. But do you think that God actually has like a sex and that he is a male? That is a actually relevant question. You would you would think that that's a funny question. And the way you're asking it, it almost seems like you're asking it funny. But do you know that there's a decent amount of people who are arguing for God to be called she or to be removed all gendered pronouns towards God? There's a decent there's not a large contingent, but there is a contingent. I can say I'm not surprised. Yeah, I think <laughs> their motivations might be different. Yeah. Well, they would say Jesus said he was like a hen and a hen is a female chicken. And I'm making that argument sound dumb, but it is kind of dumb. Mm. <laughs> I, I think it's, the Bible testifies that Jesus was a man. Yeah. So Jesus took on flesh himself, as a man. He called himself the son of man. And so here's the thing. Moeller makes this point, And I honestly struggle with all the implications of it but in his book which is fantastic oh i gotta recommend it uh oh. the prayer that turned the world upside down al moeller he walks through the lord's prayer and basically he what he'll show you in that book is what i do for my prayer time which is work through the lord's prayer and riff off of each part that's what martin luther suggested to do it's a great thing but he says in his intro because it says our father we are bound to describe and call God the names he gives us to describe and call him. Mm. So again, a waiver with some of the implications, like I can't call him pilot of my soul, which is a favorite old Baptist way of speaking, but because Wait. it's not biblical. So God can't be my co-pilot? But God cannot be your co-pilot. He can't be the uh, in the driver's seat. But what? what he's really focusing on is our father, is we don't get to call him mother because God doesn't call himself mother. We don't get to call him she because God doesn't call himself she. Biblically, he reveals himself in masculine terms, but he is genderless. God is not a, a man. That's the point I think I wanted to circle back to because mm -hmm. he, again, like male and female, like he, in Genesis 1, 26, 27, right? Talks about yeah. he created them male and female, but we understand that God is not defined in either one of those categories. Well, let's actually go, let's skip intelligent and hit spiritual. What does oh. it mean for God to be spirit is well, he doesn't have genitalia. He's not a man by biologically because he's not flesh. He's spirit. Now, of course, Christ took on flesh and it was in the form of a man. But God essentially is not gendered. Man, that's... <laughs> That is a quote. God doesn't have genitalia. genitalia. That can I be mean, a podcast byline. Yeah, I want views, and I don't <laughs> want. I don't think I want the views that that would attract. Yikes! Like Thank we'd get them. I just don't want those views. Well, maybe those are the people that need it the most. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it's true. Is God is spirit? We see that in First John. He is, in fact, not physical. The hard thing about reading a confession 
is asking yourself, what did they intend by these words? Because did they just mean to say that he wasn't physical? Because we could also say that God is not the same kind of being as us. Jay, you said it wonderfully a few podcasts ago, and I, I really like it. Is like God is not just a, oh, how did you say it? Like human being plus. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Or like, oh, he said a human being on steroids. Like he's not just like a better version of a human he is a spiritual being. He's an entirely different category of being. Yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah, making it sounds your, exactly like you. Making scholarly points. Hey, man, scholarly points are just points. Mm. Yeah, because it also says like what, like no one has ever seen God. Like, and that's another, mm-hmm. I don't have the exact reference. I'm sure it's down here below. So I guess that's some indicative of like, he doesn't have a physical form. Form, Yeah. And again, Jesus took on form, but he is not the form, you know? Yeah, that was the human piece. Yes. Fully God and fully man. Which we'll have to get to in mm, next God week, I guess. Son. Yeah. I don't know. What time is it now? We are slow going through. We are slow. <laughs> we're going to have to speed up. I don't care. I think we're yeah. doing... We're doing the Lord's work. I mean, yeah. literally, we're de- proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light, First Peter 2. Boom. that's been my favorite verse uh to meditate on for like the last nine months so Josh, came, it was right I on thought, my i thought meditation was a pagan ritual uh, no no meditation is to think upon scripture i was just trying to you know play devil's advocate there yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I was I was internally calming myself down. Is it a bad term to use on our podcast, Devil's Advocate? Are we allowed to say that? No, I think it's okay. It's jargon. It's a colloquialism. I think I said that's that what I was right. looking for. It's not jargon. Jargon is like technical terms. Yes, it's a colloquialism. Wow. All right. Enough about English grammar. Let's get into what does it mean for them to be an intelligent and personal being? And we'll spend as much time as we need, but probably not as much as we did. So it's funny, Jay, you underlined spiritual. And you underlined the other two. And I underlined it intelligent and personal. And yet I managed to somehow speak a lot during spiritual. So do you want to start us off wow. by talking about what does it mean for God to be intelligent and personal? Wow. So intelligent. I mean, what does it mean? It means what we think it means. It means he's got a brain, right? Like he doesn't, again, like it, he, he was. He doesn't have a brain. What? He doesn't have a brain. Oh, well, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> I just wanted to get, get you on that. Genesis, the creation account, tells us about his intention in design. Like mm-hmm. he, he created things for the purpose. Yeah. Right? He, he created Adam and he gave him a job to do. Right? And there's a purpose to the way things unfold in the world like and he gosh it's such a broad topic that <laughs> it's hard you to know. encompass and what i'm saying no but what you're saying is great is like he has a will he's intentional like all of those words point to this like intelligence like sentience right like he's like yeah he has a like, consciousness like he's great word aware of i mean he, he, we We've talked about sovereignty a ton on our podcast. Like he had a plan for the future. I think we're going to get into that later, but like he's laid out a plan. Like he's got this whole 
plan of history that's he's devised and yeah that's i mean strategic it's a it's not random we don't believe in random <laughs> no we do not yeah no i mean that's great so and personal plays into that too is he can be known as a person like i we can relate to him yeah there's a difference between the person who says like yeah, like I obey the scriptures and the person who says I obey scriptures because I know the person who wrote them. Like I have a personal relationship. I hate when things become cliche because then they become meaningless. Like, mm. oh, I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what do you mean by that? I he's walked your, down an he's, aisle. He's my boyfriend. Oh, don't <laughs> even start with that. <laughs> Oof. No. Um, but like christians are serious when they say i have a personal relationship with the christ that means like i know jesus my sins there was an actual personal encounter where my and i'm not trying to make it all spiritual and stuff like oh a mystical encounter but like there was a transaction where my sins were taken from me and jesus took them and died on the cross for them and applied to me his righteousness that's a personal relationship. And you continue in that after the first sermon I ever preached. And Jay, your dad made me a plaque with the uh, sermon title on it. And it's sitting right here in my room. Uh, there's Aww. no salvation without reconciliation. Like I need that reminder more than anyone, but God is personal. And I don't want to spend too much time bragging on people, but people like Bethel, who kind of blend a little bit of new age mysticism in with their Christianity if you're ever listening to any of their stuff, which why, like, don't, mm. like, I, I'm not <laughs> joking, don't, notice how they refer to the spirit, usually without a definite article, and often he is referred to more as a force than a person. That's how a lot of Christians do, but specifically those in the hyper-charismatic or the in the New Age mysticism blending kind of line like Bethel is the Holy Spirit just a force which empowers you to do things. It's not a person. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the authors here likely use some of these words specifically to give the specifics of the Christian God, right? Because, mm -hmm. again, different religions, different belief systems can use the term God, but mean very different things, right? Like, yeah. so again, these are distinctives that are important. And I think we've, we've done them justice. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, this is what, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a Christian to have a God who is intelligent, spiritual, and personal, which I didn't realize that this is also one sentence with the list of roles as well. I think we should probably not spend too much time here, but suffice to say, creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler. I think the thing that we should draw out of this right now is just to see that all of the Trinity acts in these accounts. It was through Christ that the creation was done. The Father was the one who did, who created. I mean, like the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters in creation. All three, now I might get a little bit covenantal here, but all three of the Trinity, all three persons of our God were involved and determined and intentional and acted in our salvation. They are all our Redeemer. God the Father elects. God the Son dies and rises again, and the Holy Spirit is sealed with us as an inheritance. And there's way more that each one does, but like that's just like three things that, that you, that you can say. That is the very Cliff Note version.
But too often, how does this play out? I've run into people who it's very clear that they have this idea of the father as a angry God who doesn't want to forgive you. And then Christ dies in your place and kind of appeases the father, not atones for your sins, but appeases the father. Mm. And that's very clearly not what's happening. The father was pleased to crush the son and the son was pleased to be crushed. And the Holy Spirit was pleased to be involved as well, because all three of them together have planned from eternity past to save. All right. I've had too much of a soapbox. Jay, will you please? I know you read the last sentence, but I'll read this one too. (laughs) Sentence number three. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. That's that's a fact. Take to the bank. Infinite in holiness. So you can't comprehend the extent of his holiness. And other all other perfections. So wow, that's I think intentionally hard to comprehend. There's parts of God that we can not fully grasp because he is a different category than us. What is it that Durbin says? Is it I forget which one comes first. We can comprehend but cannot apprehend, or is it the opposite way around? Um, I can comprehend that, but I can't apprehend it, I think. I think. Like, yeah, well, I, I know point, what it's the point yeah. stands. The point is like that. I can understand what the Bible tells me about it, but beyond that, like I do not have a scope or grasp of it. Like I don't fully understand all the intricacies. I just understand what the Bible says about it. And sometimes I can understand what the Bible says about it and still not fully see how it even works. And that, I mean, that would be true in God's infinite nature as well. Like he's maximally loving. And I think we're going to come back to this. Are we? In a couple sentences, because we're going to talk about what we owe him. Oh, yeah. Mm. That is very true. But yeah, so like the infinity of God is this like maximalness or other than-ness of him, right? Like, again, we don't want to view infinity as I'm seven and God is two trillion. Like, that's not it. What's the difference between infinity and seven? Well, one is a finite number and one is not. Like one doesn't have a number to write towards it. It blows off the scales because it never has an ending. It's categorically different. It's transcendently different. Hmm. Hmm. You said it. Next sentence. I'm just going to read it because you talk too much. (laughs) Amen. God is all powerful and all knowing. And his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. What? What? Um, Excuse me, this is Baptist. Did you guys mix it up with the Calvinist confession of faith? This is the Baptist one. It's not supposed to say that, Jay. (laughs) Poor K. Nellis does. <laughs> Why couldn't it be Calvinist and Baptist? Oh, you mean the London Baptist Confession of Faith? Coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> Let's hope. But yeah. Wow, this is a lot. A lot here. So, wow. All-powerful and all-knowing. It goes back to his infinite attributes, like in the previous sentence, right? Like, yeah, he's different. He knows it all. He created knowledge. Yeah. And like, 
omniscience means that he never has to this is gonna be weird and maybe it's not worth the tangent we're gonna go on do it so maybe i'll just drop it i'm just gonna drop it and not comment at all god doesn't have to think because he knows he's not like us god doesn't have to think through his actions he knows everything he's a categorically different being that's what it means like that's why i'm saying infinity is not like any other number even an incredibly high number because he doesn't have to think to know because he knows everything and that applies to every single one of his attributes Ooh, ooh. and i'm just gonna drop that i'm not gonna say anything else with it so are you still clinging to any kind of hope that we're gonna do this and the next one i'm just clinging to the hope that we do this one we're gonna finish this one okay we're gonna finish this one we'll come back to god the father next week Mm-hmm. let it be decreed and hopefully god the son too we'll see we'll see what we can do we'll see look what am this i gonna is say our to pirate ship you already knew what i was gonna say i did i didn't have to prompt you it's because it is you said it all right he's all-knowing and all-powerful check and his perfect knowledge extends to all things past present and future so he knows everything that happened everything that's happening right this instant and what's gonna happen in the future. Dun, 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 dun. One thing you see with confessions and actually creeds as well. It's really, really like important. The band? No, no, not like with arms wide open. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the goal is almost never to define everything to its most minute detail. Instead, the goal is to put safety rails. To go outside of these words is to go into heresy or to go out of being a Baptist for this confession. They're guide rails. So it's not really saying you have to view this interaction between sovereignty and human free will. It's just saying, God, the Bible doesn't leave us any leeway. God does, in fact, know everything. And so that's an important part of how we read confessions is note the two guide rails to keep us from falling in the waters of heresy and then see where what's allowed within them. Mm. But I don't think we can escape the fact that God in the Bible is portrayed as knowing the future, even the future of free creatures. He's not sitting around wondering what Jay's going to eat for breakfast. He knows. I already ate breakfast, okay? Well, then he won't sit around wondering what you eat for dinner. Fair enough. Um, yeah, let's see. Um, the way I've been – I've probably been taught, told this. I don't think I thought of it myself. It was like kind of the idea that – you have like a, a strip of film with like, you know, individual snapshots, right? That you, you play really quickly. And like God kind of, kind of looks at history in that way that like he can look at each individual snapshot of like every moment from beginning to end. Like, you know, he, he, he's not, again, looking like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but like he can act like he, he has it all laid out moment by moment as a strip of film. Now tell me how that's heretical, Josh. (laughs) No, I think that's fair. God doesn't think. So like there's a level in which that, I mean, that's a fair analogy. It's not like the analogies we're going to cover at the end of the podcast where like they end up in heresy. That That's just like, yes, God sees all of the future, but he doesn't have to think about it. He just knows everything that is going to occur for free people. And like I... When we're covering this, I like I don't think we have to go into each one of our everyone's different views of how sovereignty and free will interact. I think what we have to accept is if your view doesn't include God knowing the future, then it is a wrong and and I would even argue 
it's so clear in the Bible that this is a, a dangerously wrong view. So open theism, which is growing among Christians, is the idea that God doesn't know the future. And it's, of course, mixed with a bunch of other positions as well. But mainly, it's God doesn't know the future. And that's growing. I mean, the lead singer of Modern Post, which wrote one of my favorite albums of all time, it's a Christian band. He just became an open theist. Like, this is a growing thing. And I would say you cannot hold that according to what the scriptures say. You have to do a lot of legwork to get there. You're right. I think a lot of times... Well, I'm not going to even speculate because we got bigger fish to fry. Josh, so explain to me how this next clause works here because he knows the future decisions of his free creatures. So which one is it? Am I free or does he know? Porque no las dos. Mm. Both. Why can't there be both? It's It's funny. <laughs> Can I pose it in a different way? Jay, how can the Bible have a human author and a divine author? Which one is it? Both. Really? How can it be? Are you saying, are you (laughs) science? Are you saying that the human and divine can be active at the exact same time? So when I was reading up for an essay I wrote on inspiration, one of the people defending it argued that most of the problems that come from people who don't agree with this doctrine are people simply not understanding that man and and God can be active at the same time. We don't need to explain it. We just simply have to accept it. And I think that that applies here as well, is God is working his will even to the most minute of details. A lot is thrown into a lap, but God delivers the answer. It's not just that God knew that what would pop up. God is sovereignly in control, and yet free creatures exist. But I think we should probably leave some of this for our talk on man, which is coming up in Article 3 or 4, I believe. Let's see. I think it's 3. Article 3. Yeah. I'm going to assume that we've got some work to do there. So we're going to, I'm going to go ahead and and say, that's all I've got for this one. All right. Anything you want to say? No, that's good. Okay. Next sentence. To him. We owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. And that is kind of, uh, I don't know, like that's a one that I think a lot of people, they don't get it or they don't like it. Mm-mm. Because, okay, like I, I people are like, oh, I get it. Like, you know, I they can accept it or the creator God. But like the fact that you have to, you have to do things for him that he, like, I think it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah, it's very human to think the other way around. The whole point of the book Frankenstein is the question, what does a creator owe to its creature? Taking you back to high school, college comp class. Man, like this is, wow. You're talking about a soapbox. (laughs) I'm about to step right up. Uh This is the failing of the public education system. Because no, it is remarkable that that is actually what it's supposed to be about. Because when I read it, it was a story about a monster (laughs) <laughs> on the loose in the countryside. I mean, that's what it's about. But like the the deep meanings that are yeah. elucidated that may or may not have been intentional with the author is like the question of what does a creator owe to its creature? Very little do we ever think, what does a creature owe to its creator? Yeah, Josh. So where do you get this in the Bible? Where do I get this in the Bible? Yeah. Uh, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> literally everywhere. Every command is based on the fact that you owe God obedience. The fact that God is called just and yet judges those who sin, it just spells out for us that we owe him obedience. How could God even judge anyone and still be just if not they owed him perfect goodness? Did you have a specific verse in mind? Because I'm sure I could like think through and find one, but if you have um, one, that would be great. I don't know that I have a specific one. But Genesis 2, 2 and 3, yeah, like Genesis 2 mainly, is God creates and then commands. I mean, and that's kind of been the pattern forever and ever and ever is God creates and then commands. All of mankind owes God obedience. Think about it from a cosmic perspective. God creates man for a specific purpose out of nothing. He had no obligation to us to make us. And he does for a specific purpose, one purpose to glorify him forever. And we choose to do something other than. He has every right to to judge. Well, think about it like this way. Like, what is our concern with like artificial intelligence and like robots? It's that we will create something that will not do what we tell it to do. Yeah. And then it might mm-hmm. think independently and start to make its own decisions. We like that. That's our concern as a society. So like, I think there's an ingrained notion in our mind that like the creator creates in order that the creator might be benefited. Right. Yeah. And like that the, the, the creation should be in obedience to the creator. Yeah. Like that's, I just thought of that. And I think that's like relevant. (laughs) No, I think it is. I think it's valid. So here's, here's a way to think about it. Psalm 90. God has existed before the mountains. He created man. He allots their days. The call of Psalm 90 is teach us to number our days so we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And then we see like throughout the Bible. And again, I'm, I'm, Struggling for a specific verse, but if you give me some, I'll I'll put some in the uh, website, but God is the one who sustains us through every single second. He doesn't owe us another breath. Our lives are borrowed. And therefore, like, it's not like, oh, God created us and now we are self-sustaining and therefore we can do whatever we want because it's our lives. Literally, God is laying out your lifetime in front of you and therefore it's not even your life to live you owe god because it's his life that you are living you're borrowing everything you're borrowing every breath you're literally living on borrowed time you are yeah absolutely wow all right jay i will read this last one because you've read them all here we go the eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the Trinity even more than we already did. So this is a good little, little clincher statement because I feel like it is. We've, been, we've been driving that the whole time. So the eternal triune God reveals himself so there's a, there's a few places in the Baptist faith, the message. I mean, we don't believe it's a perfect document. I believe everything in it is correct about the Bible. But I don't believe that it always uses the best words. I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't want to hide from that and be and 
pretend that it it always uses the words I think are best reveals is a is common in theological talk. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He does in fact reveal himself, but even further, he is Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm going to say the same thing about attributes. I think attributes doesn't really fit what's being described here, but they use it in a specific way. And so we'll roll with it. But I mean, like, I think it's okay just to say like, hey, this is an area where these aren't the words I would have chosen myself. So then I guess what is the better word to describe like the, those differences between the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Like, how, how do you think about that in a better way? Role, action, uh, economy, again, is a word that we throw around a lot with Trinity. It's this idea of like, they do different things. They have different roles but they don't have different characteristics. All of them are omniscient. All of them are uh, owed all of the glory. All of them are holy. All of them are equally all of these things. So attributes is often used in theology to describe characteristics. So Stephen Charnock's book, Attributes of God, describes his omniscience, his omnipotence, all of these. Uh, A.W. Pink's book on the attributes of God describes his holiness, his mercy, his grace, his goodness like these are attributes in my mind i think of attributes as the characteristics they're using it here more along the lines of like role or care or not characteristic but like i guess it's, it is the roles or distinctions so you're saying if god is a considered a one being then like attributes would be considered like oh like think about it in human terms what are characteristics of or attributes of human beings Oh, they have two legs, two arms, yeah. 10 fingers, 10 toes. And those are true. I mean, almost universally, like I'm sure, sure there's people that are not like that. But like, whereas you're saying attributes is generally more. It's more along those lines. I, I would yes. say attributes is like that. And what they're describing here is the more akin to the father works his will throughout the world. The son is subservient to the will on earth and he dies for sins. The father elects, son dies for sins. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. Those are, I wouldn't call those attributes. They are calling them attributes. And that's okay. Like I said, I don't have to agree with the word choice. I agree with the sentiment. But again, the fundamental basis is that we talked about earlier, three persons, one being Trinitarian yet monotheistic. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So Jay, let's talk about bad analogies. Just to like, this is going to be a, a good way for us to wind down. Are we going to forsake the Athanasian Creed? Uh, no, I think the Athanasian Creed is going to help us with these. But for, uh, yeah, so let's let's start with bad analogy so we can end on a high note, uh, which is Athanasius. So what are some of the ways we talk about the Trinity? The right ways or the wrong ways? Uh, wrong ways. Josh, you can think about the Trinity like this. God is like water. And like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit can be thought of as solid, ice, liquid, and gas or a water vapor. That's what you think about the Trinity. So, Jay, why is that wrong? Because actually, that's the most common one I've ever heard. I hear that all the time. Why? Why not that? That's modalism, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so explain modalism. Modalism says that God is one, but at least he changes modes, yeah. right? And so it's not that he's three distinct things, but he just interchanges 
at a given time one to another. Yeah. So it's like one thing going into different stages or well, yeah sometimes sometimes i'm god the father sometimes i'm god the son sometimes i'm god the spirit like depends on what i need to do that day i can just tr- yeah. you know change that's not the case they're three distinct things we could actually rework the statement here in the confession to say modalism and this is how it would be is the eternal triune god reveals himself to us as a father a son or as a holy spirit like he he's not revealing himself to us as all three at once. He's revealing himself as the Father, and then he'll reveal himself as the Son. Then he'll reveal himself as the Holy Spirit. And we're saying that's erroneous thinking. Yeah. It it. So here's a classic example of where that doesn't line up. So Jesus is being baptized. What's descending upon him like a dove? Who is he praying to? Oh. Who's the voice? Mm. So are you saying that Jesus is like? throwing his voice like he's like trying to like tossing it up in the sky ventriloquism yeah it's it doesn't line up with any of what the gospel describes also no i mean i think that's a that's a fine way of describing it there are some denominations that hold that oneness pentecostals hold to modalism td jakes at least he was at some point i believe he still is a modalist it's hard to tell Stephen Furtick has made some troubling statements that seem to line up with modalism. Uh, that was like a few months ago. And what's the band You Are God Alone? Philip, Craig, and Dean or, or whatever? Oops. Craig and Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're modalists, which, well, they're oneness Pentecostal, which means that there's one God, no Trinity, <laughs> which makes You Are God Alone a little bit more disturbing. But of course, you can sing it and not realize that and be okay. But let's move on. So I'll give you one. So God is like the sun. You have the father, like who, which is the star. And then the star gives off light, which is the sun. And it also gives off heat, which is the spirit. Have you heard that one before? No. Yeah, I've heard it once or twice. Walk us through it, Josh. Well, that's Arianism, because the star clearly creates the light and the heat. We're arguing that the Father never creates the Son, never creates the Spirit, but they've eternally existed three in one. Do you have another one for us? Gosh. I think there's there's one that's really popular right now. Well, like in the last few years, uh, I've noticed. Well, I was going to say like, like, oh, I can be a... That's it. I'm I'm one man, Mm -hmm. but I can function as a dad or I can function as a brother or I can function as a son. Modalism revisited. (laughs) I think the best way to avoid some of these errors are just not try not to make analogies for the Trinity. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's funny. So the video that I've referred to uh, by the Lutheran satire company, it ends like it's, it's St. Patrick walking through all of these like analogies and these two uneducated Irishmen saying like, that's modalism or that's Arianism or that's partialism. And then at the end, Patrick just loses his cool and like shouts the Athanasius Creed. Like, are you happy with that? And they're like, oh yeah, that, that's great. Like, why didn't you just start with that? So why don't we do that as well? And how should we talk about the Trinity? Jay, I'll read some and then pass the torch to you. Sound oh good? gosh, I hope we have the same translation. We're on the same page. I remember because you told me where you were. CRCNA Christian, one? Yeah, Christian Reformed Church because yep. Google knows what we like. And so it recommended that up top. Okay, so I'm going to start. Now, this is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. 
neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, and their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable. The Son is immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings. There is but one eternal being. So too, there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. There is but one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings, there is but one almighty being. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually, as both God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son which is a bunch of controversy and actually split the church is the words and the son, just a little footnote that split Mm. the church into the East and West. What you know as Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. It's called the Philoque. But accordingly, there is one father, not three fathers. There's one son, not three sons. There's one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as was said earlier, we must worship their trinity in their unity and their unity in their trinity. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the trinity. Note that. I mean, that's what we were saying at the beginning is like there is salvific importance to this. But it is necessary for eternal salvation that one also believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. And we don't have to move on there because that's actually entering into specifically the deity of the Son. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that is a pretty stellar document there that really just makes plain what is and what is not the case when it comes yeah. to the Trinity. Without trying to go further than necessary. That's where these analogies fail, is they're trying to go further than what the Bible actually explains to us, and there they enter into heresy. They just go too far. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's a great way to end, is just to read the Athanasius Creed. I would highly recommend that you study the Athanasian Creed, like work through it, like we're doing with the Baptist Faith and Message. There's a reason creeds and confessions exist, and it's not to replace the Bible, it's to summarize the Bible. Anytime you do systematic theology, which you do every day, you are aided and abetted by creeds and confessions. And so I would highly recommend that we know them better. Man, you said it. Well, until, I guess until next week. Next week. 
You guys, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.